I think at some point every one of us in our lives have found us in a position similar to what I'm about to describe, that being sitting in front of the TV, remote in hand, flipping through the channels because you don't really have anything in particular you're wanting to watch, but yet you don't necessarily want to get up and do anything. And so you're just flipping through the channels, just flipping through the channels, just flipping through the channels. Well, a couple of years ago, I found myself in a position similar to that. I don't know why I didn't want to do something or anything for that matter, but I was in my recliner. I had the controller in hand, and I was flipping through the channels, and something caught my eye. I have no idea why it caught my eye, but it was a news story, one of those 60-minute news stories about McDonald's. Okay, uh, Generally speaking, I would have zero interest in the McDonald's Corporation. I would certainly not care to watch a 60-minute news story about them. But I was watching this. Somehow it intrigued me. And so I was watching as different executives from the company were being interviewed and different employees and different departments were being interviewed. And to this day, tonight, I could not tell you what they talked about whatsoever. You know, I remember a little bit of this, but, I mean, I don't know how it connected to anything, and, and I have no idea what the purpose of the show was. It was just a 60-minute news presentation on the McDonald's Corporation. Now, while I have forgotten 90-something percent of whatever it was I watched that night, I remember a statement that was made by someone. I don't even know what his position was or what his title was. But it was a man who made this statement, and this isn't an exact quote, but it's the idea of what he stated. He said this, that whenever it comes to McDonald's, we strive to make sure there is consistency in our product. We strive to make sure there is consistency in our product. Now, based upon your feelings about McDonald's, you may say, well, that's not the best idea they could have. But if you like McDonald's, then you understand the thought process behind that, that they strive to have consistency in their product. And here's what he said. He said, we want people, anytime they see a golden arches, we want them to be able to expect a certain product. So if they are in Tennessee and they walk into a McDonald's, they want that McDonald's to taste just like the McDonald's from their hometown. If they're in California and they visit a different McDonald's, they want that McDonald's to taste just like the same McDonald's from their hometown. All across the board where you see a golden arch, the people of McDonald's, at least the executives, I know not everyone cares about this, but the executives and the people who are in the higher-up positions, they want there to be consistency with the product. Now, if you think about it, again, that makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because you and I don't like hit and miss when it comes to a product. Whenever you and I go to a restaurant and it's very good, we generally go back to that restaurant. We go back with the expectation or the anticipation that it'll be good again, but every one of us have had an experience like this. Well, well man, the service just wasn't as good as it was the last time. Or, or the food wasn't as good as it was the last time. It, it wasn't hot or it, was, you know, it, it wasn't as flavorful or whatever it may be. And so you say to your spouse or you say to your friend, whoever you eat with, well, let's give that restaurant a try again. And so you go back and then you give them another try, and lo and behold, you had a good experience. So they hit it again. So you think, well, good, it must have just been a one-time situation. It must have just been a fluke of, a, uh, of an evening or, or whatever it may be. So let's go back. And sure enough, it was bad the fourth time. 
you get tired of the inconsistency, right? Because it's as though you never know for sure what you're going to get. You never know exactly what it is to expect. And so you go in and you're saying, well, I hope it's good this time. If you're like me and you've taken people to restaurants here in town, they'll say, well, is it good? And you say something like this, maybe. <laughs> kind of depends. Because you don't know who the cook will be or you don't know who the server will be. And so you say something like this, I'm not going to make any promises. It's good most of the time. But that grows frustrating. Now let's listen. It grows frustrating when you and I have a certain expectation on something and yet there is no consistency to the product they are serving or to the product they are delivering. Now, this evening we're going to be in a familiar portion of Scripture to many of us. It may not be familiar to all of us. But regardless, you should be able to follow along and understand what's going on. In Matthew chapter 26, here's what we understand. The earthly ministry of Christ is about to come to a close. There are just a few more days, a few more weeks of the earthly ministry of Christ. And in Matthew chapter 26, he is just hours away from his crucifixion. In Matthew chapter 26, he has observed what we generally refer to as the Last Supper with his disciples. There he broke bread with them, and there the, he drank wine with them, and that was to represent his body and the blood that was going to be broken and spilled on his behalf. And as you look in verse number 30, it says, And when they had sung in him, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Okay, so Christ and his disciples, they've had this meal together, they've had this time together, and, and conversation, of course, has taken place that we're not going to look at tonight. But in verse number 30, we understand that Christ and his disciples are now at the Mount of Olives. And notice what it says in verse number 31. It says this, Then saith Jesus unto them, that being the twelve disciples, All ye shall be offended because of me this night. Now, whenever Christ said all, we understand that he did not misspeak. When Christ said all, he meant exactly what he said. He meant every one of the men, that being the eleven, because Judas was not with him at this time. Judas was actually out in the process of betraying Christ. So in verse number 31, he says, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered abroad. And so here's Christ, and he is saying to the disciples, the prophecy is going to be fulfilled, the word of God is going to be fulfilled, that every one of you are going to be offended, and every one of you are going to be scattered, and, and, and I am going to be left to myself. Let's listen, I'm going to be left by myself. So upon hearing that, notice in verse number 3, we have Peter responding. It says in verse number 33, Peter answered and said unto him, Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Now what did Peter just say to Christ? He just said this, Christ, you don't know what you're talking about. Christ, obviously you don't know the caliber of man that you're dealing with. Though everyone else should be offended. God, though everyone else, or Christ, though everyone else should be offended by you and should be, you know, uh, unwilling to stand by you, I, I want you to know, I will never be offended. It's not going to happen. Now, first of all, it's ignorant, is it not, to argue with Christ? 
but this was kind of, you know, par for the course for Peter. Speak now, think later. Okay, so here's Peter, and he says, Christ, uh, no, you, you've got this wrong. Though all men shall be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. Now, I don't know if Peter expected a response. If he did expect a response, I don't know what he expected it to be. But I would guarantee you that if he were expecting a response, he did not expect Christ to say what he was about to say. If Peter was thinking anything, which I, I think evidence would prove he wasn't, if he were thinking, I think he would you know, be of the mindset, well, well you know, Christ is going to pat me on the back and say, well, well, thank you for that, Peter. I appreciate that. But notice what Christ said in verse number 34. Jesus said unto him, Verily, I say unto thee, that this night before the cock crow, thou shalt deny me thrice. We know this about Peter. He didn't know when to shut up sometimes, correct? Peter just was notorious for saying things that ought not be said. And so he says, Lord, though all be offended because of thee, yet will I never be offended. And Christ said, Peter, verily I say unto thee, tonight before the cock crows, you're going to deny me thrice. Now you would think that that would be enough of a statement of Christ to silence Peter. But not Peter. Verse number 35. Peter said unto him, Though I should die with thee, yet will I not deny thee. Christ, I'm ready to die for you. Christ, I, I will not only not be offended, I am ready this night to die with you. Now understand, please, his arrogant boldness rubbed off on the other disciples. Because if you notice in verse number 35, the other disciples were silent to this point. But they said in verse number 35, likewise also said all the disciples. So here, because of the arrogant boldness of, of Peter and his ignorance, because of this saying, you know, Lord, I am ready to die with you tonight. The other ten disciples, they step up and they say, yes, Christ, I'm ready to die with you also. So what happens? Well, we begin looking in verse number 36, and you read down through the rest of the chapter, and, and what does Christ do? It says, Well, then cometh Jesus unto them, uh, or with them, unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that being James and John, and began to be, very, to be sorrowful and very heavy. Okay, And so that is where Christ is at now. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's spending this time in prayer until Christ is betrayed. Okay, That begins to happen in verse number 47. So Judas is out, and he is working the deal with the uh, Pharisees and the religious leaders to betray Christ. And so as you read through the rest of the chapter, here's what happens. Christ is eventually taken before the courts, and he's going to be tried. And we know that it was a mock trial. We know that there was never in any intention to give him a fair trial, so to speak. And so as all this is happening, as all this is taking place, notice, if you would, please, in verse number 69. It says, Now Peter sat without in the palace, and a damsel came unto him. What is a damsel? It, it's a 
lady, correct? It's a young woman. We're not talking about a Roman soldier. We're not talking about a, a, a burly, grisly, rough individual. We don't know what this lady looked like, this damsel looked like, but we know she was a damsel. I'm sorry, but that should not intimidate men. Men, if a damsel intimidates you, you need to seriously reconsider the quality of your manhood. You following this? I mean, here's Peter without in the palace, and a damsel, a young woman, comes up to him and says, Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. And so notice what he said in verse number 70. I certainly was. You got that one correct. Because I will never be offended. I'm ready to die. That's not what he said, right? We know this. In verse number 70 he said, But he denied before them all, saying, I know not what thou sayest. Damsel, young lady, I have no idea what you're talking about. No, uh-uh, no, you've got me confused. Nope, I haven't been with Jesus. Don't know the man of Galilee. Peter, you just chickened out to a damsel. Verse number 71, And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him. These must have been some scary women back in their day. You know it? I mean, think about it. A maid. Again, not a Roman soldier, not some man who was armed with a spear and, and a sword and, and a shield and things of that nature. No, this is a maid, an, another young woman. And, and while he is there, she said unto them, uh, or, or another maid saw him and said unto them that were there, this fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied with an oath. No, I promise you, lady, I do not know the man. Listen, I swear, I don't know the man. Verse number 73. And after a while came unto him they that stood by. So now it's a group, seemingly a bunch of women at this point. We can edit this out, but I would say this. It is scary when a lot of ladies come at you. All right. But at this point, they, whoever they were, it says, they came, and, or they that stood by him, they, and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath or betrayeth thee. You talk like you've been with him. Your manner of conversation. So notice in verse number 74, Then began he to curse and to swear, saying, I know not the man. He began to curse and to swear, I don't know the man. Now that's impressive, is it not? The profanity begins to fly. 
The profanity begins to fly, and the swearing begins to take place. And I don't think he's saying, well, you know, I promise you I don't know the man. I don't think he's saying with a couple of profanities placed in there strategically, I don't know the man. No, I think at this point, Peter is angry. He is so frustrated. He is so disturbed that this is the third time he's been confronted and he's been pressed on the matter. And he is at this point now ready to explode. And I would imagine as he cursed and as he swore, I would imagine there was great volume to this. And I would imagine the people were a bit taken aback because of his response to their question, surely, or their statement, surely thou also art one of them. Think about that for just a moment, what has happened in one chapter in one evening over the course of a few hours. Here is Peter, and he is saying, Christ, though all men should be offended, I will never be offended. Lord, not only am I not going to be offended, I am ready to die for you. He's up here right now, isn't he? Because he is in the presence of Christ. He is in the presence of God. So while he is in the presence of God, Peter was smart enough to know what to say and how to act. But now he's removed from the presence of Christ, which means literally, physically, he is removed from the presence of God because Christ was God. And as he is removed from the presence of Christ and the awareness that he had just a few hours ago, he's now denying Christ. He's now saying, I don't know the man. He is saying, I've never known the man. And he is cursing and he is swearing to try to prove his point. He is so frustrated with everything that has happened in these last few moments. I want to ask you something. As you look at the life of Peter, how consistent is his Christianity at this time? There's no consistency whatsoever. Now understand, please, I like Peter. I'm not trying to pick on Peter, okay? I, I, I like Peter, and, and I, I think if you look throughout the history uh, of, of Christianity and from what we can tell, God ended up using Peter in an amazing way. But I want us to think about something as it relates to Peter. Peter was constantly on this roller coaster in his spiritual life in the early years of his life. I mean, here is Peter in one moment, he's gung-ho. Here is Peter in one minute, he's ready to build, you know, the, these, uh, not idols, but these, these, uh, these monuments, okay, for, for what they experienced there on the, the, the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and, and you know, Peter is gung-ho here, and Peter is ready to, to, to kill people here, and, and, and Peter is just ready to do so much for Christ. And yet it's Peter who could not pray with Christ during his agony for an hour. Here is Peter. And when he has betrayed Christ, it does say in verse number 75, And Peter remembered the word of Jesus, which said unto him before the cock crow, Thou shalt deny me thrice. It says, And he went out and wept bitterly. He has just completely failed. He has just completely bombed. I mean, he has just completely done as poorly on this test as he could have done. And, and, and in recognizing that, at least Peter went out and wept bitterly. 
By the time you get to the end of John's account of the life and the ministry of Christ, where is Peter? Peter is so discouraged and frustrated once again, he has left the ministry to go back to the industry of fishing. And had Christ not gone to Peter and restored him, Peter probably would have stayed in that backslidden condition. We see in Peter up and down, up and down, up and down. No consistency whatsoever with Peter and his walk with Christ and his walk with God. Then you look at Peter in the book of Acts and what is happening, what is taking place. He is preaching on the day of Pentecost and thousands are being saved. You read later on in the book of Acts and what is happening to Peter? Well, you know, I mean, he, he's experiencing some, some pressure, and not in the book of Acts, I believe it's in the book of Galatians. He, he is experiencing some pressure from the Judaizers, from the legalists. And the people who are, you know, the Judaizers and the legalists, they're now telling Christians, you have to be circumcised men in order to be saved. And you know what Peter's saying? Well, well, you, well, you, you know, I, I mean, well, you, you know, uh, well, uh, and what does Paul have to do? Paul has to confront him to the face. And say, Peter, that's not what we believe. Peter, that's not the word of God. Peter, that's not what Christ has declared. Peter, that is not true. Peter, that is not accurate. I guarantee you, Paul did not just go to Peter and say, no, Peter, we don't believe that. There was a confrontation that had to take place. Now, again, Peter should have been established in this. Peter should have known that, especially after the day of Pentecost, that circumcision was not required of the males for salvation. But what is constantly happening to Peter? Peter is constantly in a situation spiritually where he cannot get his act together and he doesn't know if he's coming or going. There is no consistency for much of the public ministry of Peter that we're able to find. So let me ask you something. Because of Peter's inconsistency, because of Peter's constant fluctuation throughout his ministry until the very end, has that not harmed his testimony? Has that not been a detriment to his testimony? Of course it has. Here we are some 2,000 years later, and what are we doing? We're talking about Peter's failure. We're talking about how Peter couldn't get his act together. We could, we're, we're talking about, you know, Peter was up one day and down the next. And he was faithful one day and he was depressed the next. He's ready to serve the Lord and then the next day he's discouraged and he's ready to quit. I, I mean, we look at the example and the testimony and the life of Peter in his years of following Christ and we say, Good night, Peter. Where's the consistency? Where is the consistency? And for much of his life, it was not present. Now this evening, I want us to think about something for just a couple of moments. Something that I believe to be of great importance. For you and I, for those of us who would identify ourselves as Christians, that is a title that is not to be worn lightly. That was weak. For you and I to identify ourselves as Christians. For you and I to go out into the public tonight, tomorrow, throughout this week. 
For you and I to go out into public and identify ourselves as Christians, that is not a label that we should identify ourselves with lightly. And here's why. Even the lost have certain expectations of the so-called Christian or child of God. It's kind of like when a person sees those golden arches, they immediately have an expectation of what the product will be. So if someone identifies themselves as a Christian, if I go out into the public and I identify myself as a Christian, if you go out in public and you identify yourself as a Christian, understand, please, this world has an expectation of you and the product you are going to deliver as a Christian. Well, that's not fair. Deal with it. Well, well, I don't like it. People shouldn't have any expectations of me. No, they're allowed to because we're the ones who identified ourselves as Christians. We're the ones going around saying, oh, yes, I'm a Christian. 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 Listen, if we don't want certain expectations put on us, then we don't need to tell anyone we are a Christian. In fact, many so-called Christians would better serve the cause of Christ and Christianity if they would keep their professed Christianity to themselves. For this reason, no consistency. See, here's the problem. So many people who identify themselves as Christians, they're much like Peter. They do good when they're around the presence of God or the people of God. They certainly know how to turn it on when they're around fellow Christians. Let's all wake up and give attention to this, okay? This is very, very, very important. When they're around the people of God, when they're around the house of God, when they're at church, they know how to turn on the Christian life. Well, you know, we're just going to say certain things. We're just going to sound a certain way. We're going to act a certain way. You know, there are just certain things that we're going to do. We'll say amen instead of amen. We're, we're going to say things like praise the Lord instead of, you know, whatever it may be. We're, we're, we're prone to act a certain way when we're around the people of God and the presence of God. But here's the problem. So many people who, I, who want to identify themselves as a Christian, whenever they're no longer in the obvious presence of God, like in the house of God, and they're no longer in the presence of the people of God, like fellow believers, you know what they do? They begin compromising their Christian testimony. Words begin to come forth that they would never dream of using at church. Let's not sit here and shake our heads too early. We're not done with the sermon yet. Uh, why is a Christian using that language? You talk that way at church? Well, no. 
You talk that way in front of your preacher? There's no way. So why are you talking that way at work? Come on, where's the consistency? Let's not sit here and gripe at Peter. Let's not sit here and be critical of him. Let's not sit here and say, my goodness, Peter couldn't even stand up to a damsel. Listen, most of you, or not most of you, most Christians, please forgive me, I did not mean to say most of you. Most Christians can't stand up to the people in their own life when it comes to their Christian testimony and the words that they speak. Think about this. There are people who identify themselves as Christians and they say things that ought ought not ever be said. They act in ways that they ought not ever act. Isn't it amazing how polite and kind and gracious and courteous we are at church? And yet... Listen, and yet you get us away from church and we can be some of the most impatient, rude, get out of my way, you're disrupting me and slowing me down kind of people. People are morons. People are goofballs. People are goobers. People are idiots. People are stupid. People are all these things. But at the house of God, we know how to turn it on. Come on. Some of you would never engage in certain activities at church, but as soon as you get home, it's, it's perfectly allowed. See, some of you wouldn't want fellow Christians riding in your car because you know what your car smells like. It's getting quiet all of a sudden. Come on, we're, hey, listen, if it's, if it's okay in the car, it's okay at the church, right? Well, 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 hold on. Then if it's not okay at the church, it's not okay in the car. <laughs> I thought it might get quieter. Where's the consistency? Hey, if we wouldn't drink it at a fifth Sunday fellowship at church, guess what? We ought not be drinking it at home while we're watching the game. I will have a cold one tonight, and it'll say Coca-Cola on it. I'm probably going to have two of them tonight. Now, listen, please. Listen, listen, listen. But I would do that at the house as well, and I would do it in front of anyone at this church. I would do it any time, any place, anywhere, and, and I would feel no sense of conviction about it. Now, now listen, if you know as well as I do, no, we don't do that at church. Listen, if we don't do that at church, then we don't need to do that at home. There's no consistency. See, here's what happens. We find ourselves in certain environments where we are more than happy to talk it up big like Peter did. Oh, amen. Oh, amen. Yeah, that's right. Oh, amen. <laughs> preacher, that's right. Oh, that was good, preacher. Okay, let's, let's see how we live tomorrow. 
Let's see how we live in a few minutes after the fellowship is over. Where's the consistency? See, Peter's testimony has been forever damaged because he could never quite get his act together. Hot one day, cold the next. Hot one day and cold the next. And I wonder how many Christians' testimonies have been forever damaged in the eyes of some people because they can never quite get their testimony or their act together in front of the lost people. There's a reason why people and their family don't take them serious. They've seen the inconsistencies far too long. There's a reason why people at work don't take their testimony serious because they have seen the inconsistencies far too long. There's a reason the children don't take the parents' testimony serious any longer because they've seen the inconsistencies of dad and mom far, far, far too long. You know what Christianity needs? It needs consistency. It needs people who live it on Monday like they professed it on Sunday. Now understand, please, understand this as clearly as I can make anything known tonight, okay? Every one of us are going to fail. It's going to happen. We wish it didn't, but we know it's going to happen. Here's how you and I ought to be living, though. You and I ought to be living in such a way that if someone saw us doing something or heard something come from us, that they would be shocked that it happened from us. That should not be par for the course for us. Oh, yeah, that's just, yeah, yeah, he claims to be a Christian. Yeah, he's a member of Grace Baptist Church, but, but yeah, he always, no, that's who he is around here. It's not how it ought to be. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, they're at Grace Baptist Church. Yeah, we know that for a long time, but, no, he talks just like us, and he's got the same habits as us, and, and they do the same things as our family. Oh, yeah, yeah, I don't know what he does at church, but I know who he is out here. I know who she is out here, and, yeah, there's, yeah they're not any different than us. God help us if that's our testimony. But it is, for some, no consistency. We ought to be striving and striving to live in such a way that when we fail, people are absolutely shocked that we did that. Now, now listen. It ought to be that if someone hears that you did something or said something, that their immediate response would be, no, I don't think so. I don't think that'd be true of them. No, listen. I know they're not perfect, but no, I don't think they would do that. That's how we ought to be living. That people would have a hard time believing that that's what came from us by way of our actions or our words spoken. 
We need to understand, and I know that we do understand this, that, that we're not going to get it right every time, but that should be our sincere desire to be consistent every day of the week, no matter who we're with, no matter where we're at, no matter what the circumstances are, we want to be consistent. And let's just, let's just deal with this very quickly, and then we're almost done, okay? Whenever you and I fail, our response should not be, well, we all fail, because that is not a spirit of grief or remorse for our sin. See, in Peter's up and down, up and down, up and down testimony, at least he got it right when he denied Christ. When he denied Christ and the cock crew, like, or the cock crowed, whatever that's supposed to be, as Christ predicted it would happen and said that it would happen, whenever Peter remembered the words of Christ, at least he responded correctly that time. He went out and he wept bitterly. Friends, when we fail, you know what it ought to do? It ought to grieve us. It ought to disturb us. If, if we say something at work that we should not have said, if we say something around our families that, that we should not have said, it ought to disturb us deeply. We ought to try to make it right with the ones that we have flawed our testimony with. There ought to be some remorse to our sin. But so many times we get so comfortable with our sin, we get so comfortable with our lifestyle, we know it's not consistent, but we're okay with it because, hey, nobody's perfect. So what you've got then and what we've got is the Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night facade and what everyone else sees is who you really are and who I really am. My manner of conversation ought to be the exact same out there as it is right here. My habits, listen, my habits ought to be the same out there as they are in here. You ought to be able to jump into my car anytime without me worried about anything that you would smell, pick up, listen to on the radio or anything of that nature. You ought to be able to come into my house at any time, me tell you it's in the fridge and then not get all tight because I'm wondering what you're about to find in the fridge. You need to be able to come into my house anytime, look through any magazine I've got, and me not get nervous and wondering if I got them all picked up before you got there. And you should be able to look on my computer and see my search history without me saying, oh, let me look at that real quick and start clicking the delete button. We following this? What we are right here ought to be what we are out there. And when people hear that we're a Christian, there ought to be a certain product that they can expect from us and us deliver. So that there is consistency. Wow, you're a Christian, you act just like the other Christian. That Christian acts just like the other Christian. And it's like all of y'all are different. 
That's what it ought to be like with Christians. But all too often, the lost people's interaction with the so-called saved, it's very hit and miss. It's very hit and miss. And no wonder, no wonder most people in society today have just said, you know what, I'm good. I don't need that anymore. It's not for me. What kind of consistency do we have in our Christian life? Let's all stand this evening and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I pray that you would use this message to speak to our hearts. Lord, it's so easy to sit here this evening and to say amen at all the right times. It's so easy to sit here and say, oh, yes, I know someone.